Lost Talk Radio. I'd like to welcome everybody to Blog Talk Radio and on Facebook and StreamYard, Vibe Time with Jerry with my co-host David Flowers. Hey, everybody. And we have our special guest that we have been waiting for, Haunted MD. How are you doing? Hi, everybody. (laughs) (laughs) It's great to have you on. Thanks for having me on again, guys. Yes, it's great because last time, well, last time there were some technical difficulties, I think. So it's really nice to have you on with no technical difficulties because I was having some internet issues myself. Yeah, that's right. I do remember that. Well, thanks for having me on again too. I remember I was um, having some work issues. So yeah, yeah, I'm always glad to be on. Yeah. Yep. We sure do miss you. <laughs> I have to put oh, that in there. I know. I know. I have to. Put I know. In. I know. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> We sure do miss you, <laughs> but we understand. We understand. So, how have you been doing? I'm doing, doing pretty good. Um, you know, work's been busy and and uh, you know life kind of stuff. But um, otherwise, doing pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah, good. What about you guys? I'm doing great. Yeah, I'm doing really good. Yep, I'm sitting here looking for my own show on my own page, which is not on my page. So that kind of sucks because I can't find my own show on my own page. <laughs> hey, John Stevens. Hey, Ronnie. Normally I have it hey, down and, it, and it hits the page, but it hasn't hit my page today. So now i got to sit over here and figure out what I'm going to do to get on here. I guess i got to go under a bench. Sure, do you? Yeah, do something because I, I do have people that are new that wanted to watch it um, tonight. Uh, we have a right. couple people. So please, a lot of people know who you are, but I do have some new people on here that, you know, are new to the paranormal field. Um, they haven't really seen Vibe Time. We talked a little bit about it. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself and let the audience Yeah, know? yeah. So, um, so I'm, a, I'm a practicing physician, internal medicine doctor. I do hospital-based medicine. Um, you know, internal medicine is from a from 18, age 18 to the time he passed away. Um, so I still do that. I, you know, I'm off this week, but I work, you know, week on, week off pretty much. And um, I've always been interested in paranormal. Um, all my life I had weird things happen. And then probably the last, since like 2011, 2012, I actually started investigating and all those kind of things. But, you know, kind of going back in my history, 
some of my earliest memories are kind of paranormal things and having kind of weird encounters. Um, one of the things I always stick out in my mind is um, I remember seeing like this, like this child-sized figure of light. It wasn't too bright. It wasn't too bright to look at it, but it was bright enough you could kind of see like head and shoulders. Really no facial features, but it would kind of peek around the corner. Sometimes I'd see it run across the room, and I would say to my mom, I'm like, Mom, I'm seeing this play. I don't know what this is. And my mom was pretty cool. She was like, oh, it's just your guardian angel. And I don't know if she believed me or didn't believe me even that I was seeing something, but she was pretty cool. And, and kind of tying it all together, like why I was into the parable was, I think my family was really open to, like, my mom, she was more like a spiritual. We talked a lot about, like, angels and heaven and stuff like that, where my dad was more, um, he was more like your, he was in a Bigfoot, UFOs, and ghosts. So what I'm getting at is we always had, like, an open forum for paranormal talk. And even nowadays, we still, when I see my family, we still talk about, hey, do you have any weird experiences and things like that? So, and then my sister, my sister, who's, uh, I'm the oldest, I got uh, two younger sisters, but the middle sister, when I go back to Ohio, that's where I'm from, we go looking for, we drive around looking for Bigfoot. We don't, we never see him, but this is a tell you, that's my background. Because some people are like, well, how can you be a doctor and do all this paranormal stuff? It's just because I've always kind of grew up with it and always was interested in it. And, you know, I didn't really realize you could investigate it until later on in life. After I went to medical school, became a physician, I saw taps or ghost hunters, like early thousands. I just happened to be flipping channels, and I saw them. They were in some lighthouse doing an investigation, and, and they had left the room by itself. And I'm like, holy cow. I was like, I was like you know, I was like, wow, you can investigate this stuff. And even then, I didn't start investigating. I was still in Ohio. Then I'm, you know, born and raised in Ohio. Then I moved to uh, Virginia in 2009 um, in Charlottesville. And then um, I was working over in Fishersville for a while before I started working in Charlottesville. Um, but when I was working in Fishersville, I heard about a team called Twisted Society, and they were looking for somebody. And I was like, what? I'm like, yeah, these people. So I met Tom and Lyle, and I joined their team. And that's how I started investigating. Um, and I started investigating with the idea of trying to make sense out of the experiences I had, like trying to learn more about, you know, what was all these different things that happened throughout my life. And, and then eventually what happened was around 2018, 19, I decided to kind of branch off and on my own to do Haunted MD. Um, so, so I could kind of bring in more of science and medicine type stuff that was related, you know, related to ghost investigating and kind of my own things. And, I was looking to kind of do lectures and work with other teams and still do my own investigations and, and all that kind of stuff. That's where, I, that's where I, Haunted MD came from. Haunted MD being the idea of being a haunted doc because I feel like all my life, even till now, even, even now, even a couple of days ago in our townhouse, there was weird stuff happening. But I, I feel like I'm on a position, I guess, that people who know me would often joke and say that, that I'm a ghost magnet because it seems like stuff's attracted to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so that's, I mean, kind of rambling on about it, but, no, but yeah, so, so, yeah, so the last few months, like, I kind of taken a break a little bit. I used to be on social media. I'm thinking about getting back on. Um, but I've done you know, investigations around Virginia uh, and out there and things like that, so. But, yeah, that's who I'm talking about. And I think it's really cool that your family was really open to the stuff that you saw when you were a little kid. Yeah, there's a lot of families out there anyhow that when their kid says, I saw this, and Mm -hmm. the family just goes, well, that's just your imagination. Right. Right. And and to me, I I believe that desensitizes 
as an adult or right. a teenager when we're told our, all our life that's a that's a of our imagination, and then we get all oh, it's nothing and kind of lose it. I agree with you. I I think you're right. Actually, I never thought of it that way, but you're right. We kind of get kind of programmed to think that they're nothing. But whereas my family, yeah, we kind of kind of embraced it because there was different times. Like um, I remember my dad. One night, this I got some stories. Um, I think I what I was. I was like 12, 13, 14, somewhere around there. We was and I had heard a bunch of noises, and then my and I didn't. I thought it was my dad. But then my dad got up. He actually woke up because he heard noises, and we both ended up going down to check and see what was going on. But it was one of those situations where we both heard things separately, thinking there was something going on. We went downstairs and couldn't find anything. And then there was another interesting story with my dad. In that same house, we had a pool table, and sometimes my dad would. My dad was the steel worker, so he worked shifts, and sometimes would come home late, and we used to. He taught me how to shoot pool and. All that kind of thing. So every now and then he'd come home late and wake me up, and we would shoot pool at night. So we had this pool table. It was like on the floor. It was on the on the full floor below my bedroom. And I would every now and then hear the balls breaking, like you know, like somebody racks the balls and breaks them, and then you hear balls falling in the pockets. And I would go down and look at different times, and there was no nobody was there. The table was covered up, and it was like, what in the world? Why did I hear pool balls? So um, one time we were sitting around having like a family discussion about different things. My dad's like, Don, the other night. I thought I thought you were playing pool late at night because I, I heard the pool balls. I got up and there was nothing on the there was nothing happening. <laughs> so we had definitely at, at a whole different time. I didn't even know he had experienced it, but we both at different times had experienced the pool balls on the pool table, but the pool table was covered. So I don't know. It was so those, those are the kind of things like my family. The other thing I'll tell you real quick. I don't know if I ever told you this one before. We used to have little mini seances because uh, we would smell roses like disembodied. Rose smell was like really strong, and my grandfather on my dad's side was really in the roses. But he died before I died. He died right before I was born. Um, but we always smelled these roses, no matter what house you lived in. You know, and we could never explain these roses. So there was a couple times where we set up a, it was me and my sisters, my mom and dad. We set up a candle on a kitchen table and tried to communicate with, with my grandfather, and nothing ever happened. But that, the reason why I tell you that is that's the kind of family I have. Like, yeah. like okay, what's Let's try to see if contact Grandpa because he smelled the roses, you know? That's, that's cool, though, because a lot of people yeah, aren't so open. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, my dad was really the big play. My dad, we actually, also, I don't know if we have time today, but we had some weird experiences, too, fishing. We, Me and my dad used to go fishing with his buddy a lot. Up on Lake, I grew up on Lake Erie, you know, in Lorraine, and we would go fishing out for Toledo and Sandusky. Actually, kind of in that Sandusky area, a little bit south of there, there's a Bigfoot hotspot now. Um, but we had some weird experiences there with Bigfoot and stuff. And in Lake Erie, I don't know if you guys know, it's notorious for having unexplained lights, all kinds of different UFOs. And there were different times where I think I saw stuff, my dad would see stuff and um, stuff like that. So, yeah, so I don't know what it was about that, about Lake Erie and that particular part of Ohio, but there just seemed to be a lot of activity. That's cool. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to be up in that part of Ohio next week. And oh, really? Maybe um, Bowling Green. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So maybe I'll get to see something. Yeah, that way. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, of course, there's been some people, but kind of like a little north of there. Yeah. That's cool, though, when you have an open-minded, uh, see here. open-minded family member. Yeah, I've yeah, got a few other people in here now. Got John Sullivan, how's it going? 
Vaughn, Ronnie Rickard, Shayla Rickard. Ronnie Anderson. Uh, everybody. Ronnie Anderson. Yeah. John I, Sullivan. Welcome, everybody. John Sullivan. It's John Sullivan. He, let's see. Uh, yeah, John Stevenson. Dr. Don will be in a <laughs> swan. Yeah, right. Swanana, what, what? Swanana? <laughs> yeah, Swanana on October 29th. You're right, John. <laughs> I miss John, yeah, man. Well, I gotta get, I break it, get back on Facebook at some point. But, yeah, I'm doing a Swanana event with um, Cherie. Kind of before I kind of build out of things, uh, Cherie uh, from Lunar Paranormal, I work with her a lot. She had kind of stuff in advance, but I didn't want to back out of things that I had kind of scheduled already. Right. So we already had, uh, we were thinking about the Patients, patients actually ask me because the nurses tell the patients, 
I'm a ghost hunter, so a lot of patients are really into it. So I, so I'm still, you know, you know, doing stuff where I'm getting to talk about it and all those kind of stuff. So people are fascinated, that, you know, even at work and I'm doing ghost, you know, positions as ghost hunting and things like that. Yeah. I think, I think I'm gonna get back into it more. I think I want to try to, I want to try to look more at maybe like near-death experiences and maybe something like that, like maybe more of the academic stuff. Um, not anything against not the academic stuff, but you know, and maybe have a little different approach. I don't know. Near death experiences yeah. are very John interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, John Stevens said that, that you also appeared on the Travel Channel show Haunted Hospitals. Yeah, John's like, <laughs> I love John. He's like, John's like, like, he's always been like the biggest fan, like Jerry. And there's some other folks that like, but like, my biggest fan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Man. But um, yeah, I was on Travel Channel. Uh, that was it. Yeah. So it was one of those things you submit. So I don't know if you guys know about Haunted Hospitals at the show. I think there's been four or five seasons now. Mm-hmm. Um, but you submit your stories, and then they, they'll decide if they want to, if they like them or not. And then uh, they'll reenact them. So you kind of go on there, and, you, you, like, I told my story, then they had a reenactor who would reenact the experiences that I had. So, yeah, so I ended up doing that, um, I think it was season two. And I'm drawing a blank what episode it was, either 12 or 13, something like that. But I'm, on the, I'm at the end of it. But I had talked about a bunch of the experiences I had as a doc in a, in a particular spot. And uh, it wasn't like one, I think they liked to have one big story, but what they did was they put all that little story together and, and made it into like a kind of a, kind of like a. Yeah, that was a good like show, a story of like, So, yeah, yeah on that, um, I, you know, I reached out to them and, uh, and they, they wanted to have me on there. They're always, if people are, you know, interested in haunted hospitals, they're looking for doctors a lot of times that, you know, or folks like that that have stories. In addition to the nerds and the, and the EMT guys and all that stuff. But, so, yeah, I got to be on there, and I shared a bunch of stories that I actually had happen in a hospital setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, John Taylor, he said, don't forget to say that if, yeah, 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 we, yeah, we talked to him about that. <laughs> yeah, we talked to him about that earlier about we, the EMT. He's going to say yeah. Yeah, we're having our, and this is a reminder, y'all, we are having our EVP review show. David Flowers, you got your calendar, because mine's like 100% take care. Yeah, so. What do you guys do do for that? Are people submitting their EVPs, or what are they doing? Yeah, um, just email me the EVP. I'm I'm getting ready to post that on my email address. It's and just email them to me that way because I have to turn them from an uh, MP3 to an MP4. I got you. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to do review. So it's going to be very interesting. So people are going to, so people are going to submit them, and you guys are going to, we're going to listen to them on the show and mm-hmm. then see what they, what we think. Or? Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be really cool. That's, is that going to be like eight? Is that 8 p.m. on the 24th? Yes. 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 Okay. Cool. Cool. I'll write that down. Yeah, by the time with Jerry is always 8 p.m. Tuesday night to Eastern Standard Time. <laughs> I got you. Have to throw it in there. Yes, David put his email address up there. All right, Steve White has a question well, for you. He's a Steve White. He wants to know. Let's see. Good evening. Awesome guest. Awesome show tonight. Question: Has any other doctor that works in the same hospital as you do? ever confronted you about a paranormal experience he or she had while working there? Just curious. Yeah, not so, like I said, um, I got to find out what the story is, but the, like I said, a doctor, a doctor friend of mine, 
um, approached me this past Sunday. He wanted to talk about some of his experiences. Unfortunately, I was kind of leaving, going out the door, and he was kind of in the middle of doing stuff. So I said, we're going to give us some time to talk about it. Um, I haven't had so much where I'm at now, but the old, the other building I was in, about, so we, in the last year and a half or so, we changed buildings. We were on a satellite building to the main building. So we moved it to the main building. Um, but in the satellite building, yeah, people, we had all sorts of experiences. Um, in our satellite building, there was three floors. Um, the second floor was where all the patients were. The third floor was office, build, office building or office rooms. And then also the hospice unit was half of it. Um, but our office was up on the third floor. It was just opposite the sense that we would put our stuff in there, and there was computers, sleeping area. Because I'm a hospital-based doctor, so I don't have, like, an office. I don't see patients in the office like a, like an outpatient doctor. I see people in the, in the hospital on the floor. And then we had our home base office um, with the workstations and TV and two sleeping areas with showers. But in that, in that office of ours, we had so many people had experiences, even myself. So, yeah, people would come to me and say, hey, you know, I think this office is haunted. In fact, one of my good friends kind of got me interested in kind of exploring our office unofficially because, you know, it's not officially sanctioned to do ghost hunting where I was at. But uh, right. so I would, you know, kind of see what I could find out with some equipment that might happen to make it in my backpack, you know. And uh, so, but, yeah, so, yeah, several doctors. But one, in fact, one of my physician friends, she's actually went to Seattle, but she was working in that building, staying overnight. And she reported in one of the sleeping rooms, she woke up and there was a shadow, like a shadow of a lady standing over her. It, like, freaked her out. And uh, she actually stopped working night shifts in that, in that building. So, so that's an example. Um, you know, people hear noises all the time. My one friend, uh, he was, like, really religious. Um, but he, he was he was convinced that there was something. He said uh, he, he, like, donned or something in his office because we had the two bathrooms, too, that were connected to the to the – to the sleeping areas, and those bathrooms have motion-activated lights. They have motion-activated paper towel, motion-activated lights, and they'd also make up kinds of weird noises. But my friend was sleeping over one night in one of the rooms over to a night shift, and um, he said the bathroom lights just kept coming on, going off, going on, going off for no reason. He goes, he's like, okay, do is pray to Jesus. He goes, I just said, Jesus, please don't, please don't let this, whatever's here, hurt me. So what I'm trying to tell you is that there was a wide range of people who were, that believe they're normal and people who didn't were having experiences in this office. So, yeah, um, and for the most part, kind of the same lines of that, kind of doctors and ghosts, I really haven't met people who are really, like, like give me a hard time about it. Um, they, a lot of people have their own stories. There's a couple guys I can think of that are kind of like, are you sure it's not just, the, you know, the house settling? Are you sure it's not just not that? But there are, so there are some skeptical positions, but I'd say probably, 90, 90% of these doctors that I know, you know, they support what I do, and they actually have their own stories. You know, they probably wouldn't share it normally, but they come tell me a lot of things, you know, a lot of times. And so you'd be surprised how many physicians are actually open to do it, yeah. you know, open, to, open to the paranormal or who have had paranormal experiences. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm sure. Cool. Um, John yeah. Stevens. John Stevens says. Go ahead. Yeah, John Stevens says. Do you feel hospitals are some of the most haunted places? I've often felt that, like, nursing homes can be freaky haunted. You know, it's interesting that you, John mentions that because I hear the, I hear the, I hear the, like, the most, like, I'm trying to think of the most compelling stories from people that work at nursing homes. Like, these nurses are saying, like, 
they're actually seeing they're seeing stuff more than like you know like they're seeing shadows or they're seeing spirits. You know, in a hospital, there's more sounds and things like that. Um, it does seem like nursing on Sunday would be a little more active for some reason. Yeah. Because every time it comes up and I'm talking to a nurse, they're like, oh yeah, well you know this we had this happen on the on the floor in the hospital, but when I was at a nursing home, like the call bell kept going off and we saw this shadow and and heard voices and things like that. So it seems like nursing homes are pretty active, but hospitals too. And then it seems like psychiatric places, you know, like the old sanitariums and then, um, you know, battlefields. It seems like any place where there's a lot of human emotion. Yeah. And, you know, trauma and stuff like that, they're, they tend to be pretty active. But, yeah, hospitals definitely, I mean, I think just the nature of what happens there, you know, and all that stuff. So My sister wanted to know if anybody has ever tried to follow you home. Spirit-wise? Yeah. <laughs> or or, or pissed-off patients. <laughs> Spirit-wise, has it ever, ever tried to follow you home? You know, not, not, it's a good question, you know. I, I don't think from the, from the hospital, but I, I think there's been a few times after investigations that weird stuff would happen, and because um, I'm always kind of skeptical about that, I'm like, why would it? You see, like spirits can kind of go and come wherever they want to go, and like, why would they follow me home? And you know, and do they, you know, that kind of thing. But there's been a few times I remember where strange stuff would happen <laughs> in my apartment, you know, and and they explain it. In fact, there was one time it came back from somewhere. I'm gonna do it with St. Albans, and then a couple of days later, I was. In my, I was in my apartment. Well, I'm, it's a, I'm in a different place now. I was with my girlfriend. But I was in my apartment, and all of a sudden I got the three scratches on my leg. Now, I'm, you know, I'm always kind of skeptical, but out of nowhere I just felt this burning on my leg, and there was like three scratches on my calf. And I hadn't touched it. I hadn't brushed against anything. So that kind of freaked me out. So then I, like, I went in and I got the sage. <laughs> started burning sage and opened the windows. And, and then I went away. But there's, there's been times. There's been times. Um, where I've heard, um, you know, it's hard to know for sure, but, but, you know, well, even where we live now, it seems, we seem to have activity here. I just don't know, is it activity that's always been here? Is it something that followed me? Um, I don't think anything's followed me from the hospital that I know of, but I think I, there's probably two or three times where I wondered if something followed me out from investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I've wondered about um, going back to the hospital, so if, do you work in the ER any time? Any? I have to go down to the ER. So a lot of times what happens is, especially if I work a night shift, um, so what happens when you come, say you get sick and come to the emergency room, say you have, like, pneumonia and you're too sick to go home. So the ER doctor evaluates you first, and then they decide can you go home or not go home. If they decide you need to stay in a the hospital, then they call one of us, you know, either, you know, a hospitalist or whatever you would need. If you need a surgery, they call a surgeon. And then we come down to the ER um, to admit you. So I don't do the initial, like, I don't see, like, the right off the street stuff, or I don't, I'm not involved with, like, traumas and all that kind of stuff. But, but if somebody needs to be admitted, yeah, I go down and admit them, um, yeah, and stuff like that. Yeah, because I, I was always wondering, because figure the OR and the ER, those would be the two main places where people die. Yeah, yeah. What kind of activity in either one of those two places? I, I haven't had a lot of personal experiences in the ER just because I kind of get down and get, I kind of get in and get out and go back to the floors. 
but I know I've heard ER nurses talk about different things and ER doctors talk about different things. So I think stuff definitely happens. And in the ORs too, um, you know, there's, there's stuff that can, you know, you hear different stories and all that. Um, you know, up on the floor, hospital floors, the kind of the traditional notorious thing that happens is there's always like a haunted room. You know, that third room, they'll have the call bell going off for no reason or the lights will be going, you know, on and off for no reason. So a lot of times each hospital floor will have that one room that's just really creepy. I know in our old building we had a room where all, everybody was convinced that something was in there because, you know, the, the, the nurse call bell would go off for no reason or, you know, they would hear sounds in there or the lights would come on, different kind of things. So, so that's, you know, in, in the in a, in a active hospital setting, that's kind of the stories you hear about a lot um, like that. So, and actually, it's funny, at the old building, it's, you know, they're not using it right now for patients except for the hospice unit. And downstairs is the radiology unit. But one of the, one of the um, respiratory therapist managers, they were going over there to get some ventilators out of there. And he's not a big believer in ghosts and kind of skeptical. And I think he kind of was one of these guys like, yeah, whatever, Molnar, you know. And then just about a month ago he told me they went over to the old building um, which is actually, it's newer. It was built like in 2011, but it was the building we used to be in. He was coming down the elevator from the third floor to the first floor. For some reason, the elevator stopped on the second floor, and they hadn't pushed the button. And they had a front door and a back door at the elevator, and they were going to go out the front door, but the back door opened. So both doors opened, and they shouldn't have. And it stopped on the second floor, and it shouldn't have. And he said when the doors open on the back side, he goes, for a split second, he saw a shadowy figure standing there. Like, not really a, just like a shadow, like a, like a ghost-shaped shadow. And he goes, and it took off really fast. And he goes, I went after it. He goes, like, he goes I don't know what the heck this thing was. So he went, he went after it, and he, and he couldn't find it. But the cool thing about that is this guy is pretty skeptical. Like, he's not like your, you know, like I said, he always kind of, you know, made fun of me a little bit about it. Um, but then after that, I could tell he was more of a believer. He's like, Don? saw this shadowy thing, and I'm not, I don't know what to tell you. All I can do is tell you I saw this shadowy thing. And it's interesting because in the part of the building where he saw it was where other people had experiences, too. So particular part of that building, people have seen stuff and heard stuff, too, pretty frequently. So I don't know what it is about that part of the building, but I'm not sure what's going with all that. <laughs> I'm not sure I'm rambling on about stuff. Um, what were we talking about? <laughs> Haunted stuff. I had a hard time staying at the hospital overnight last year when I was in ICU because I kept seeing this person, wasn't a nurse or anything, full figure walking past my curtain constantly, back and forth, back and forth, back. And I couldn't sleep. And it was really bad because the nurse, I had, I guess I had fallen asleep eventually and I've, felt like something was watching me, so I woke up, and the nurse was standing over me watching me sleep, and I'm going, do you not realize that I see dead people all the time? This is not very smart for you to do, and he just looked at me, and he's like, I've had my experiences in here, too, and I'm going, oh, my God, so I wasn't yeah. imagining things, you know, because I at that time, I was, I was tired, you know, being in the hospital yeah. anyway, but I just, I just could not sleep. And it was it was a female, long hair, hospital gown, but it wasn't patient, if that makes sense. And she just was back and forth, back and forth, yeah. back and forth. Creepy. When I hear that from a lot of people that 
I hear a similar story that people that, that especially are sensitive or, you know, have, you know, some psychic abilities, things like that, they report that as, yeah. you know, no pick up on that stuff. I had a good friend who, he really wasn't psychic, but he was a ghost hunter, and with, with a twisted paranormal, he ended up in the hospital, and he said he saw a black shadowy thing. Yeah, they can't leave. The, uh, the yeah, they can't leave. Yeah. Because, and yeah, that's why I told the, told the guys, the, yeah, they're stuck. Because he's in one of the units, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, they're stuck. And I'm like, yeah. can we open the windows? <laughs> so. Yeah, Steve White has a, a question. The question again, just yeah. curious, while working in different medical facilities, has anybody ever talked about a near-death experience they had possibly? These are questions we normally, okay, I've got confused. Talk about near-death experience they had Possibly, these are questions we normally don't get to ask because we don't talk to a lot of physicians yeah. with yeah. normal. Yeah, that's a good question. So I kind of feel people out and um, kind of see where they're at with things. And then particularly, too, if, um, if it's somebody who's had that, like, been, you know, had that experience where they died and came back or or were in a, you know, in a, like, an ICU, on life, serious life support, I kind of feel them out and see. Um, people, yeah, people do. Um, you got to kind of, you got to ask them about it. You got to make sure you kind of, you know, you got to get to know them and stuff like that. And uh, I've had people tell me about different things. I've had some people say no. They haven't had any experiences. Um, you know, when it comes to near-death experiences, there's a lot of, there's like all those different steps. There's like, depending who you look at, there's nine steps, 12 steps. The reason why I tell you that is that I haven't really had any tell me like they've had the full-blown thing like you know right. part of a near-death is out of body part of the life review you know going through this tunnel you know seeing you know religious type beings or you know seeing the you know beautifulness of a, of a like a different air land and that kind of stuff you know and, and, and then having to make a choice i haven't personally came across people that have had that full-blown thing but i've had people tell me that they were out of their bodies couple different times I had people say, yeah, I was out of my body. I could tell that they were working on me. You know, like one, I remember one guy recently was telling me he went up in a bad car crash and ended up being a, a paraplegic from that. And uh, he was telling me, yeah, I remember I was, I was like up above everybody. And I could see they had to do the jaws of life on this and they had to do this and that. And, you know, and, and it was a lot of things that he probably shouldn't have, he wouldn't have known without actually being out of, technically being out of his body. Because when he started, I guess the, uh, he told me when the, the rescue people visited him. He started telling the rescue people about all this stuff. And they're like, like how, did you, how, how did you know that? Where were you? Because we your body was in the car. And, you know, so, um, so stuff like that. I've had that, people tell me that kind of thing. Um, but never, yeah, I haven't had a, somebody tell me like the whole, had the whole thing. I had one guy, a younger guy, who he wouldn't, he told me he had an experience. He told me a little bit about it, but he was really afraid of it. And he didn't. He wouldn't tell me anymore. And it was it was curious. And his wife would even. His wife was like, "Just tell him what you're having. What's wrong? Why are you? You know." So I don't know. I don't know if he had a bad experience. You know, when you consider near death experiences, you know, majority of them are good experiences. But there are people that have bad experiences where, you know, they're go down to a place and, you know, feel you know burning sensations or feel like they're being torn apart. So I don't know if this particular guy was afraid of the experience. Just because of the experience, or if he, he had a you know a dark experience, and that that's that really frightened him. But he would never he never did tell me. And he actually he was pretty open to 
paranormal because that's kind of when I started my hundred MD thing, and we were always talking about it. He's like, "Oh man, cool!" And, but he wouldn't he wouldn't tell me about his experience. I don't know. I don't know what it was. So, but yeah, yeah, I've had people tell me this diseases. I got to kind of dance around and kind of see who's open to it. Um, definitely, I never, um, I never like force anybody into it. You know, I just kind of get the vibe. I got to see how they're feeling. You know, and stuff like that. Because it is a, you know, some people do get offended by it. I'm um, although so far in my experience, when I do bring it up with patients and families, most people are pretty open to it. You know, pretty open to the idea of paranormal things or, you know, afterlife and those kind of experiences. So, have you ever thought about writing a book on an MD? I have, I have, and I, but I, so I started, I started uh, writing it, and I kind of filled it out. And then recently, recently I was talking to Richard Eastup, and uh, he had me, uh, he had talked to me about some things, and I touched base with him, and he kind of got me motivated a little bit mm-hmm. to uh, get motivated. And he actually wrote a book about about writing a book right here. Uh, I actually got the book. So, yeah. Building the right Yeah, I think I need that. It could be five years. Yeah, now you show it to me. It's actually a really good book. I haven't got all the way through it, but it's a good book with some good advice. Yeah, I would like to write a book. You know, kind of like my life leading up to being a doc of ghost times and then and then somebody, then what is, and then kind of how science and doctors look at ghost science and stuff like that. That would be really cool. Like, like, when are you going to do that? Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Don't pay <laughs> five years. If I don't set a deadline, I won't get it done. My girlfriend's always like, my girlfriend's like, you're never going to write that book. I said, I'm going to write it. Damn it, you I'm going to really write should. it. You really should. Yeah. Speaking of me, you'll have to send me the title of that one so I could take a look at it. But knowing me and how I operate, I'm, I'm, I'm getting close to the end of what I'm doing. I'm just adding some stuff, and it's getting tweaked. But if anything in that book said that anything was wrong, I would scrap it and start over, and that's my problem. So I better not read it just yet. Got <laughs> a little OCD with stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and I think that's what's been holding me up is I believe it or not, I mean, I've done a lot of you know, for being a doctor and in college, I mean, I've wrote a lot of papers and a lot of presentations and all those kind of things, but I've never wrote a book. So I think some of it is just not knowing the process. I think, you know, being like ghost hunting, once you know the process, you can bang it out, but when you're learning ghost hunting, you know, it's like you got to learn the process. So I think for writing a book, for the writing a book, like, I mean, I know how to write like a, like a, like a paper, right? but, you know, writing exactly. a book is like just kind of fumbling through it and then, yeah, you know, you can be your own worst enemy, right? You want to be perfect. You want this, you want that, and you know, before you know it, you stall out. Yeah. You know, I, I do want to write a book. Or your scattered brain, like I, I am, start- and your books all over the place, and you don't want to look at it anymore, so you put it down and say, "Forget this. I'm just done. I don't want to see it no more." Because <laughs> that's me. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. It's a lot. It can be overwhelming. And you're right. I've, I've written papers and all kinds of stuff, but when it comes to writing a book, it's a whole different thing. And right now it's all scattering yeah. and scattered. Yeah, it really, really helps to have somebody, it helps to have somebody help you too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess I'll hold off on the book that you're reading right now so my OCD side don't kick in and say, oh, wait a minute, or that perfectionist side kick in and say, oh, well, yeah, I guess if you're, this is I mean, if you're getting near the end of, if you're getting near the end of writing, you're doing good. So yeah. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. Five years later. Do you have like a publisher? I've got, I've got, I've got um, people in mind, yeah. 
of how I'm going to do. Oh, good. But I've got it's being proofread right now. So. Oh, good. That's you're pretty far along. Organized. Yeah, yeah just keep going with it. Yeah. Keep yeah. going. So, what's it going to be? What are you writing about? Or what's it going to be? Some of it's um, my personal experiences, but a lot of it is um, into the metaphysical side of things. Crystals, Reiki, oh, cool. all kinds of things. And then and then I want to add some stuff to it because I've started, I've spanned off from human Reiki into animal communications and Reiki. And that's a whole different, that's totally different than working on human beings. It's a totally different experience. Okay. So I want okay, to. But yeah, I've heard people. I've heard people do. I've heard about with Reiki and animals. It's been like people seem to get a lot of satisfaction out of that. Mm-hmm. And they really do. Cool they really do. I, I my biggest clientele right now are horses. Oh, so wow. yeah, cool. and uh, I've got a couple dogs that have PTSD, but the biggest clientele right now are horses, and it's been so so rewarding and satisfying to work on them and. If anybody knows horse people, they're really, really, really picky. So if they let you touch their horse or work on their horse, then it's so fortunate to be able to do it. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Good. Yeah. So I got to add yeah, something. Side note, I like to, to change the topic real quick, I just like to say something. I, I don't know if I mentioned this enough, um, but my girlfriend, Christine Day, she really, you know, Haunted MD wouldn't be what it is if it wasn't for her support. In fact, she helped me kind of. She helped me to get it going, and she actually drew my my uh, the logo I used. She drew that, and I uh, told her what I wanted and stuff like that. So I just I want to make sure I give props out to her because you know the fact that you guys know me and the fact that I did I've done all the stuff I've done is only because of her support and you know all the events I went to she had watched the kids and you know that kind of stuff. That's why I make sure I shoot throw that out. Or sometimes I think I don't do that enough. So yeah, that's but you know if I have a good every good man or woman there's a the support people. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. That's definitely. Very true. Yeah. Very true. See, why she makes cakes. If you guys are interested, if you look at Miss Day Delight, if you need a cake, <laughs> she builds, She does specialty cake. Miss Day Delight. <laughs> yes. Well, put it. Get that in the comments. I might need a cake. Yeah. Yeah. Put it in there. So. <laughs> she can do ghost cakes. If you nice. want a cake like a ghost. Or Halloween cake. <laughs> That's cool. That's really cool. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, anyways. I like the frosting, just to let you know. She should open up a company with specifically frosting, different flavors, because I don't like the cake. I only like well, the frosting. Go. Just a thought. Just fry. That's a good idea. Yeah. Some people do like just the frosting. I don't they like the cake. The cake. Yeah. I don't want the cake. I like frosting only. Buttercream is my favorite if she wants to send me some. Oh, her Thank buttercream. Her. Christine's buttercream is like the guy for her. Yeah. yeah she, well, if I, if I, she makes so much good stuff that I got to really watch myself because I can put a lot of weight on. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, her buttercream is like perfect. Okay. Yeah, I might have to, you know, buy a sample of that because I don't like the cake. Yeah, I only yeah. like frosting, which we all know that inflammatory so I have to watch it. I have cut sugar out quite a bit. Yeah. But I I would I would try yeah. her, her her buttercream frosting. <laughs> yeah, and if you ever need a specialty cake, you know, mm-hmm. if you reach out to her site, she does all kinds of different things. Awesome. And they're you know, she's pretty artistic with it. And the and it was, I mean the artwork is really good in the cakes, but the cakes are delicious. They're some of the best cakes I ever had. She ate this apple pie the other day. I don't think I've ever had apple pie that's been that good. Actually I don't know I'm not a big sweet eater. I actually took some of it to work with me. You know, it was a snack, so. Yeah. 
Yeah, I wouldn't. Which, anyways, just throwing out props to everybody who supports what we do. You know, there's a lot of for everybody who has that has these sites and yeah, ghost hunts. You know, there's got to be support people kind of helping it happen and stuff. So yeah, yeah, you can't I, do it by yourself. No, that's right. Let's see. Beth from Paranormal is going to thinking about putting a book together. Steve White, thanks. I absolutely love Andy's answers. Okay, my last question. Are you familiar with the crisis apparition? If so, has anybody ever mentioned something like this to you possibly? So, yeah, yeah, I'm familiar with that. And actually, um, my one friend, he's a parapsychology guy. He's actually a psychologist, psychologist, but he got his parapsychology degree from Edinburgh, Edinburgh in Scotland. And uh, he actually does a whole thing. Um, it's Brandon Masulo. He actually does a presentation about crisis apparitions, and um, he talked about um, I forget what his little story was. There was some people moved in the house, and they kept seeing this. They kept hearing things on the stairs, and mm-hmm. thought they saw an apparition on the stairs. And it turned out that somebody had died on the stairs, you know, back a long time ago, and it ended up being a crisis apparition kind of thing. But yeah, 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 I'm familiar with them, and um, I've heard some different stories of them. Like more from Brandon's story. Um, but I haven't, I haven't personally experienced it a lot. But yeah, yeah, they kind of, they're interesting to think about. Mm-hmm. What is a crisis apparition? I've never heard that. It's it, you can um, end up seeing a spirit of um, either somebody who's alive or dead in a, in mm-hmm. a place where they're not. So you know, you may you know, you know, you like, you know, say um, there's a significant stress going on and. And something's going on with me. You may see my spirit appear. Like my, my mom, my mom may see my spirit if I'm like under a significant amount of stress, or if I just passed away, that kind of thing. Where you'll see the, you'll you'll be seen somewhere else where you're not. You know what I mean? If that makes any sense. So, yeah, yeah. You know. That's interesting. Yeah, because um, yeah, he's at the manor house one night. I had a some guests there, and they was telling me about how they found out that their mom had died. Oh, really? How did she die? She she was sick when she died, but her, her she went to her grandson, who was supposed to be sleeping, and she was mess, bugging him because she was, she was giving him a message that she wanted to be buried next to aunt so-and-so. And so he got up out of bed and went to his aunt, First, adult he saw and said, Can you go get grandma and bury her next to Aunt So and so? Nobody knew grandma died. Mm. That's how they found out. Yeah, yeah. So, would, would that be considered crisis apparition? Yeah, that would sound like, that would sound like one. I was actually just pulling up to make sure I got the definition right. Um, um, that's that's a, interesting. So, the, the definition off of, the line it says, Crisis apparition, as first described, as first defined by 19th century paranormal researchers, is a vision or a sense of a loved one around the time of their death. Um, this says that parapsychology researchers suggest that crisis apparitions can be explained in the form of telepathy. Um, but yeah, so it's like the yeah, so that was what you're describing. Yeah, you, the the deceased one or the one who's near death or that kind of thing can appear to somebody far away and you, and you see them and you're like, oh my God, I just saw grandma. You know, you didn't realize she was dead or whatever. So yeah, kind of thing. But there's also things too where 
I also think of maybe it's not crisis, but there's another. Um, I'm drawing the blank on it. I did a time ago about where you might see the spirit of a living person outside of their body, like you know. I can't think what it's called. Gobble, gobble, gobbleganger isn't. Is that the same thing? Gobbleganger is if you see your see yourself. But this is you. You may see, like you might see the the, the person isn't dead, but their spirit body. And you can potentially see there's you can potentially see them in two places, right? So they're you know they're in their house, but then you'll see their spirit somewhere else. And there's a name for that too. I'm trying to blank on that one. Yeah. That's interesting too. But I can't I don't remember the names of remember the names of that. Look it up. And I'm checking too, make sure I don't see it or <laughs> but my friend, uh, my friend Brandon does a really nice presentation about crisis, crisis apparitions. That would be that would be I, very. I is he on Facebook? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wonder if he'd be willing to do a do a segment on the show about about it. You think? He might. Yeah, if he got this. Um, uh, I think it's M A S S. ULO, Brandon Masulo, a piece of parapsychologist. Okay. Let me write that down. Let me, uh, let me double check. Hang on. And, Hang on a second. <laughs> I mean, I just and think that that John was... Steven says, John Stevens says, my favorite story about Dr. Don, we were at the Exchange Hotel and we were investigating, and I said, hey, Dr. Don, you got any recorders set up? His response was, boy, do I have recorders. <laughs> he opened his doctor bag and pulled out what seemed to be 10 recorders and cat balls are falling all over the floor. And I've never seen so much equipment. We both got to laugh. <laughs> yeah, I got, a, I got a little too much equipment. Yeah, but your equipment is interesting, and I've bought some of my equipment that I have based on what you have because that's how I found out, you know, about the body camera. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have known to, you know, even think about using one at that time. And I, you know, yeah, I remember I did a, I remember I did a, I did a post on it, and yeah. you're like, hey, yeah, yeah. Which one do you have? Yeah, because I got my bike. Yeah, I got my body camera because she had her body camera, mm -hmm. and that is absolutely my favorite piece of equipment. Yeah, that is, that's mine too. But I was telling you earlier about how I set up 13 cameras. It's it's all body cameras, right? So I wear one. I'll wear a body camera. I usually wear a full spectrum one, and then I'll set up uh, like other ones on tripods. Or you can, you know, the body cameras are nice. You can just set them down anywhere. Yeah, so I set them down here and there. Put them on tripods. But yeah, you, you know, maybe. You know, they record really good video and really good sound, so. Yeah. yeah. They really do. Yeah, with the body camera, you don't need a DVR system. Nope, you sure don't. Hey, here we go, guys. I looked this up so I can tell, make sure I'm telling you the right thing. So crisis aberrations, it says, crisis aberrations appear to loved ones within 12 to 24 hours of death, and sometimes even when the person is still alive, but close to death. These spirits typically come to loved ones to convey an important message, such as one of comfort or love. In some cases, the appearance of a crisis aberration is the first time the loved one is aware of the person dying. So that kind of fits, Dave, with what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. And then the, so the living apparition is 
this one is a little weird for some people, but it does occur. A living apparition is when the spirit of a person who is still alive appears as someone in a place that is different from the location of the body currently inhabits. In these cases, the spirit may be traveling during astral projection, meditation, or dreaming. So, yeah, I guess they call that a living apparition. So, yeah, now we know. Yeah. That's interesting. <laughs> That is yeah. really interesting. Yeah, the, the, the body cams. Yeah, I love the body cams. That's pretty much the only camera I use now. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was investigating and stuff. So. Yeah, they're just they're just like you said, yeah. they're easy to set up. And like David said, who needs a DVR system when you can just put a body camera wherever you want to? You know, I think we've yeah. got let's yeah. see, I've got three. So on investigations, like right. And then yeah. on, so on investigations, either public investigations yeah. or private ones. Yeah. It really pays off because something might happen and you'll be like, and you'll just happen to have a body camera in there and you can go back and look at that footage. You know, it's, it's cool. You just got to make sure you have the camera set up right. Every now and then I've, something's happened in a particular location, but they had the camera at the wrong angle. Yeah. Like, oh, man. Yeah, I've done that. But yeah. the body camera's nice because you can kind of set them up like that, yeah. And put them wherever you want. You just, I've got really good EVPs with yeah. the body cameras. Yeah. We have too. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. In fact, I don't even really use the digital recorders anymore. I use just the body cams, you know? Well, yeah. Unless I'm doing, like, a burst session. Yeah. If I'm doing, like, a burst session with a EVP, I'll use the, the recorders. Right. Right. But, but yeah, yeah, going back with the John said, yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> I've got way too much equipment. You know, it's always tricky to try to figure out what to bring and not bring. And um, In fact, my girlfriend, she's she got a lover. She's like, son, you don't need any more equipment. So, um <laughs> But, you know, you see these new gadgets, and you think you need them. And, you know, and a lot of times you end up coming back to the one, you right, there. Yeah. Yeah. You come back to the ones you use the most. Yeah. Like, I don't know, I got all this stuff, and I come back to my body cameras and maybe the SLS camera and, you know, RemPod or the, I like the uh, EDI data loggers because they have all the different features on there. Oh, yeah. You know, so yeah. you kind of come back to your favorites, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of the SLS because I've got one, and, it's probably been almost two years since I've used it, but it just, to me, it gives too many false positives. Yeah, you got to know how to use them, that's for sure. you got to know how to use them. But, yeah, I know what you mean, and I go back and forth. I understand why people don't like them, and the, I understand the, the criticism of them. But I've had, I've had situations where I've caught a figure, and you're like, do this and do that. Touch that, touch that device, or do this, or touch that. And I've had it where they've touched the REM pod's gone off. You can see it reaching towards the REM pod, or you tell it to, you know, stand up or do this and that, and it, it does those things. Now, it's, it's rare, right? It's, it's rare that you get that kind of that validation. Um, so I think a lot of times, it, yeah, it's hard to know what it's what it's mapping. But every now and then, I'm like, that's really interesting, you know? <laughs> it's like. You know, I told her to touch the K2, or I thought to touch this, or touch that, and it, and it did it. So, but I, I understand the, the criticism too. It's like any piece of equipment, right? You got to put it in contact. Yeah. You know, anything we use, you got to kind of put it all. What's the whole situation that's going on? So, but I think people, it's like with the orbs, right? We talk about dust and, and being misinterpreted. I think with the SLS camera, you got to understand how it works and what you're capturing, because I think a lot of people jump. As soon as they see a figure, it's a, it's a ghost, and it's like, well, no, that's a chair. And you gotta, you gotta like, yeah. you, you know, you gotta like understand the equipment and not jump to conclusions and all that kind of stuff. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I tell people all the time, 
it, when stuff happens, that's when you have to keep your emotions in check. Yeah. You get, you get so excited that something's going on, Yeah. your common sense kind of takes a break. Right, yeah, and that's when you got to, like, yeah, you got to take a breath, and you got to try to get other things to happen or somehow validate that piece of evidence because if you just have one thing happen, you and you and, and 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 you get all flustered, and you don't try to follow up on it. Yeah, yeah, you need to you need to you know try to get other things to happen or stay calm or those kind of things. But I definitely I agree with you on that. Yeah, I've got to learn how to um, control my breath when I'm on my investigations because I've noticed in my own body camera that I have a heavy breath. I've noticed that you know heavy myself. So I'm, yeah, I'm, I mean, me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. I have to learn how Especially to. Especially like if you're going up and down the stairs, mm-hmm. up and down the stairs or something yeah. like that. You know, in a location, like, you know, yeah. like it really stinks too. If you catch a good piece of evidence because like you don't want to post it because like, exactly. You're you know, exactly. Like, oh no. Yeah, because I, I was listening to that the other day and I was like, Dagon, I really got to seriously learn how to control my breath and and pay attention to it because. You don't hear it with your own ears, but when you download the body right. camera, you're like, "Oh crap! I bre-, you know, my breathing is that hard. Oh no, we got to do something about that." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I noticed that the other yeah. day. It was not good because it messes up everything if you do get yeah. something. Because then you almost have to kick it out because of that. So yeah. Oh, I'm a chubby smoker, so I totally yeah. understand that. Yeah, it's like, you know. <laughs> See, talking about evidence, I mean, it is important. It's, we were talking before the show. It's hard to throw something out. Yeah. But if you're not sure or if there's any doubt, you got to, I mean, you got to, especially if you're posting, it kind of depends what you're doing, right? Yeah. If you're trying to be legitimate and post good evidence, I mean, you're kind of, it's kind of, you got to be willing you got to throw a lot out because a lot of stuff in the heat of the battle, like Dave's saying, you think it's paranormal, but then when you go back and analyze, like, ah, uh, you know, that was that was somebody coming through the door or that door, something, that door moved just because of its, the way it's weighted or something like that. So you got to be, I think when you do evidence review and if you're trying to put good stuff out there, you got to really scrutinize it and you got to be willing to throw stuff out if you don't, not 100% sure because I yeah. think when you put stuff out there that's not credible or it's, it's obviously dust or something like that, I think it does kind of sh- you know, it makes the field look bad or it kind of yeah. shines a negative light, like, you know. So I think it's important. you got to step back, even if you're really excited. Because there was a time, I remember, we caught something when I was still with Twisted Paranormal. We caught a door moving in this place. And we were like, oh, my God, we were so excited and pumped and, you know, and all this other stuff. But then as you analyze it, you realize it really wasn't paranormal. But, you know, you got to, if, if you didn't really take that time, you could be posting stuff and then, and it's not, it's not good. You know, it's not legitimate or whatever. So you got to be willing to really scrutinize your stuff and step back from it. And sometimes too, show, you know, with your evidence, show show a friend or somebody else before you post things. And yeah, you know that kind of stuff. Just so. show Paul Shields. Everything is <laughs> <in> paranoia. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's gonna get Yeah, paranoia. yeah. Cloud picture, perfect. I see the heart. Paranoia. <laughs> You gotta be you gotta be careful not to throw everything out, right? Yeah. Right. You can be way too skeptical. It could be something that's legit. So yeah. I know I got some really good friends in the community that are more scientific based 
they really just throw everything out. Everything, any equipment we use is, is a bunch of crap. You know, anything that, you know, if it's not this or that. So I think you guys, I think you guys
when you have some kind of a possession, you can't just use faith and, you know, rosary and read some scripture because they're divine. They're not afraid of, you know, God because they are of God. They can't be killed. They can't be destroyed. They can't be deported. They're immortal. So what we do is we contract it in what we call divine. And we exercise that particular demon. We lock them up into a divic. Sometimes they're more afraid of us than, uh, you know, than they're afraid of God. But we've taken dominion over these beings. They're supposed to be our guardians. They send checks. And granted, we have various types of hells, and there are other dimensionals that get involved in the case. So you have to Try to figure out, is it an interdimensional? Is it actually a demon? What are we dealing with? So that's pretty much what demonology is in an overview scope. Um, but, yeah, we always uh, – we, we attract paranormal as we do supernatural. They just they just seem to fly in all the time and see us. So how did you get into this? Like, how did you get into demonology and the paranormal? What, what got set you on that path? So I'm a suicide. Uh, I think my first year of life, I died like three or four times because I got into like chemicals underneath mama's sink. I'm the guy that caused the Mr. Yuck green sticker to come out. Oh. So because I am a suicide, heaven doesn't want me, hell won't keep me. And uh, things just came to me. Supernatural beings would suddenly appear and and I try to tell someone that as a kid, and they're like, this kid needs psychological help. <laughs> so as I grew up older in life, I went to Cornell University and got into a, a – they got a great parapsychology program, a great paranormal program as well. And, of course, I was born into Catholicism. Uh-huh. My family was Catholic. So that kind of made me Catholic. And as time went on, I started spending a little more quality time with the priest, and I was explaining to them these names that I didn't fully understand. And when I went to them, I said, you know, there's this this guy kind of hanging around, and I don't understand what he wants from me. He says, well, well, what name did he give you? I said, you know, it's like uh, Osmodio or something like that. He went, Osmodio? Oh, no one. No one has even spoken that name since, like, Babylonian time. So they took an interest in me and kind of, like, explained a little bit more, and I grew into this understanding of demonology, possession. And, uh, yes, I've had a couple of pretty nasty fights. I've had my shoulder, my rotator cuff got torn out. been thrown, like, 90 feet. I've been pushed against walls. But uh, we fight the good fight. So you say you're – did you try to – did you try – this is – if it's too much to talk about, let me know. But you say you were suicide. Was this later on in life, or is that when you got underneath the sink with the chemicals? With... Yeah, you know, like the, like Drano. Yeah. I, I like drink crystal Drano, you know, or I got into ammonia. Ammonia was the, was the killer for me. That one took me down fast. But that was when you were a little baby? That was when you were a kid? You know, and I was a curious kid. Oh, yeah. Hey, what's this? Oh, I like this color. 
So, I mean, I mean, that's, but, I, that's what, like, like you said, you're curious. Most kids are curious at that at that age, you know. But would that be considered a suicide though? Because that shouldn't seem like it seems more of a just an accident more than. And if you didn't actually commit suicide, does it still, will it still be a case that even neither hell nor heaven nor hell wants you? Because you're still alive. Can you can you well, can you I, redeem it? Can you make up for it with what you're doing? Yeah. I think I think the whole element was you know you you die accidentally, but mm-hmm. you still kind of did it yourself. It's still reviewed as a suicide. <laughs> so, mm. so you know, literally, that was kind of the the case that we were up against. Me and go. Um, I didn't know my that. You know, I got my stomach pumped, you know, and I, but I made it. So, well, that's been kind of the special element. So, when did you know that um, that you could see things? Like, what, when, when, when you, when, when you, when, when were you able to start, you know, picking up on stuff? With the infested, um, I saw them. Okay, so. This is going to be a quick short, but it's going to take a minute. Um, in our world, we have three-dimensional space, okay? So you have the X, Y, and Z in three-dimensional space. If we live in this I can jump up and down. I can move forward, backward, side to side. Um, if I want to communicate to you and create a destination, I say, oh, hey, uh, you know, Ryan, meet me over at Waffle House. Well, then you would be like, okay, well, where? Which one? what kind. So I kind of call these our, our coordinates in the three-dimensional world. Makes sense so far, right? Yeah. That's how we process time and place. In their world, they see everything more like events. They see the beginning of time, the ending of time. They're not alive. They're not dead. They're just in the limbo, right? Uh-huh. So what gets their attention is an event, um, and I, I bring up some mega events. A cataclysmic event, 9/11, the cataclysmic event. Demons on their plane in the fourth dimension see that. They don't see time. Right? So when I die, I don't know how long I was there. In our world, I was gone for like eight to ten minutes. In their time, I was there almost an eternity. So they identified me with things. They they connected with me. And a lot of that wisdoms and knowledges, I couldn't bring back with me. Because, obviously, you understand what trigger options. Yeah. in, In your ethereal form, your spirit will identify, like, a trigger. Because it's, like, first nature. You really got to be able to identify. I didn't have anything to adhere to triggering to go, wow, this is a demon. That's a monster, right? So I just saw them as the other people. So coming in back into the material world, they could see me and I could see them. I just couldn't remember. Hey, you seem familiar. Uh-huh. Are you again? You know? And they did tell me things, and I talked to me about stuff, metallurgical things that I should not have understood, uh, base composite of understanding 
electronics. And so I excelled at school because I was learning things from the But I didn't know demon, angel, you know. So if that gives you a little connectivity of what their world's like, and again, you know, I'm, I'm over here not trying to bastardize a demon, but, you know, I'm literally like the Dave Chappelle of demonology. We I, got some hero, you know. Yeah, they're, they're kind of our friends. They were supposed to be our friends. They were supposed to be our watchers. And now religion has damned them. And that's what demon really means is that they're just damned. They're cursed. So I don't purport to say, oh, it's okay to make friends with a demon. But when you understand them, they kind of have an understanding of you. So you get this interesting relationship. Mm-hmm. But not all of them. There's some really wicked ones, bad, evil. Osmodius is probably one of the most evilest bastards in hell. Like, even Lucifer himself is afraid of Osmodius. So I have a question. Uh, You mentioned the Divic earlier, um, and I I kind of understand what the Divic is and, and what the Divic box is, but what are your thoughts on people who come into owning a divot box and say they want to open it up and see what's in it. What's your take on that? Uh, no. <laughs> uh, that is, yeah, bad idea. I think uh, probably the reason why that demon has been put in that divot is it's a really bad one. And it does bad things. It, it, Belial is probably the worst one of all because he loves to play with little girls. I mean, like, nine, ten-year-olds. Oh, man, it, he's the kind of guy you want to put the Divic. And if someone goes and buys this Divic box on eBay, hey, I'm going to do a live opening of this Divic. Let's see what happens. Uh, Yeah, of course you're going to just – it's a Pandora's box, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No, never open a Divic. So most uh, – we throw our Divics into deep water. That's the best way to get rid of a demon and keep them locked and isolated. Uh, there's probably out of 72 named demons in the, the Lesser Keys of Solomon, 50 of them are still in Divic, so they haven't been found yet. Uh, but most of the ones that have been found that were in Divic, most of them are in the Middle Eastern world, and they just call them the Jinn. You know, it rub the genie lamp. You know, they mm-hmm. open up that and they release that demon and the demon's like, hey, 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 buddy, thanks. Listen, I'll give you anything you want, whatever you wish. Uh, how about money? Everyone always goes for money. Demon says, cool, here you go. Yep. And off they go and then they're back to possessing the world again. So when, when you release the demon and they say they give you money for releasing them, I, I reckon, what is it like? It's like a pact or something. Like you have to give your soul for the money, or is it just I'll do you a favor no, because you did me a favor? It's more like Alibaba and his forty thieves. Mm-hmm. Well, Alibaba sold one of the divics from Solomon, and when he released that demon, the demon was so happy to be free. Hey, hey, hey I'll give you whatever you want. He's like, uh, well, I want a place no one can find. Poof, here you go. Well. Now that I got a place no one can find, 
I want treasure. Okay, poof, here you go. Well, then he was like, you know what? This is getting funny. He began Greek. Every time he made a wish, the demon got more powerful, became more lustful for blood. Next thing you know, demons started sacrificing his men, and Alibaba was just, what have I done? But it's not really you're making a pact. You're just, you've released that demon, and it will do whatever it wants to do. Mm-hmm. But first off, it's thankful. Hey, thanks for letting me out. Hey, I owe you. Yeah. One. Oh, you want, yeah. Is it one of those things where you have to be careful what you say? Because if you say, like, something like, you know, you take it real, literally, and you might not get exactly what you want. Yeah. So saying yeah. what you wish for. If you ever saw the wish master, how he's like, oh, yeah, what is your wish? And then, you know, they, they tell him, and he's like, as you wish. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, he, he twisted them up. Every time they make a wish, he got more power. Not saying that demons need power. They're divine. Their biggest enemy right now is the celestials. They got a tough drama with the celestials right now. <laughs> so, I mean, like even the Loa are like, listen, we use the angels in in our Budal, you know, rituals, but we use them in ways that we help them, they help us, and we know how to dominate, control them. You guys don't. So that's, that's kind of why Vidal is, is one of the more ritualistic that uses the angels and demons and all of their, eh, we won't really, their, their ritual practices. That's what their religion is. What's your take on uh, Zozo? Well, that all comes into play on, I'd say 80% of the, there's rituals that go into play. And when you get into that level of ritual, you've got to have faith, a lot more faith than what, you know, most common priests would have even today. So as long as your faith base is strong, because it'll suck you in really fast. Like, what is this, a great power corrupts indefinitely kind of thing, right? Uh So you have to be careful with when you're toying with divinity when you're dealing with celestial and definitely interdimensional. I mean, paranormal is a whole other different ballgame. Like, paranormal, you, me, us, here, material, you have the spark of that spirit within you. So you are divine, but you're in the flesh. Mm-hmm. You live your And then when you die, your soul gets to either move on to the sixth heaven you know, you work your way to fourth heaven, and you get to first heaven, that you can be right with your Jesus. Because by the time you get first heaven, you are now about to enter the Elysium of God. A lot of Zozo will connect the planes, priest, the priestesses, connect those different heavens. And they're opening gates the things that are already over there that doesn't need to be coming over here. Did our video lock up again? Yeah, it's, it's, it's back now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did the audio stay or did it cut out? No, it, it, was, it, 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 was, it was fine. So okay. when, you, when, you see these, when you see these shows on 
like Travel Channel and you know where they're talking about everything being a demon. What what does that make you? How does that you know make you feel? Okay, so um, I mean we're actually pretty good friends with the Ghost Adventure team. We mm-hmm. we've known them for a while. We just don't really connect that often. And I and I do miss my you know. Uh, they go to the they go to these haunted places, and they do activate the paranormal that's there because they do use trigger objects. But it, I, I'm always telling Brent, I'm like, oh wait, 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 oh, oh wait for it, wait for it. it's gonna be a demon, hold it, wait for it, <laughs> and then it's a demon, and I'm like, I won, all right, take a drink, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're like, you're like, every time he says demon. Take a drink. That's a good. That's a good drinking game right there. You'd be fucked up in a in not. <laughs> but the for for us, we see the paranormal. We're not investigators. We're exterminators, and we use this term loosely because we're not destroying or abolishing the, the paranormal. Mm-hmm. We're trying to help the paranormal reconnect so they can either reinstall and come back here, mm-hmm. or transition off and head back home. The majority of the time there's there's you know investigators who are dealing with lost souls and those lost souls are trying to reach out to them and say, Help me, help me. I'm I'm lost. I need help to get back or either I need help to move on. And that's what they're doing and sometimes the only way to, to reach those people is they do get violent because they're emoting. If you're emoting to them, you're going to pick that emotion up. So if they're angry, you're going to feel that. And just because they're angry doesn't mean it's a demon. That's their only way to reach out and connect with you because that's the emotion you have. So if they're sad, you're going to feel profound sadness. If they're angry, you're going to feel that anger. If they're scared, you're going to feel that fear because that's the atmosphere that's around them because at the time of their death, that most likely is what they're feeling, especially if they died suddenly. They were just doing something, an activity, whatever it was, and then poof, they're dead. They're stuck in a constant state of anxiety, now wandering around going, what happened to me? Why, why am I here? Why am I stuck? I was just doing something. And oftentimes those spirits will actually get stuck in a routine where they're continuously doing that exact same thing over and over and over. And that's the only way they know how to reach the living is to do that very thing that they were doing. So it's not necessarily a demon all the time, but rather a lost spirit crying out for help. And that's the only way they know how to get a person's attention. And it's emotive. And it's not not only that. Sometimes humans perceive it as that because it might feel as a negative emotion. Mm-hmm. But that's what that person was feeling at the time of their death. Well, and it also takes a lot of energy to manifest yeah. to get our attention as well. Yeah, it does. I mean, it be, it be, okay, so you have, like, the spinal atrial gland in your heart. That thing is a – that is your palatine to it right there, and that, that's your spark of life. So when you don't have that energy anymore, you have to get it and rate it from someone near you. Mm-hmm. So, like – when we, she's the parapsychologist, like, she's not her spiritual medium, her, she gets this understanding of what they're going through, and 
she builds her energy up so they can connect and be like, hey, thank you for the recharge, lady. Yeah, now I got some shit I got to say, you know? So when when you become that open, you're not really a channel. You're just you're part of that energy. They can drain you pretty quick. Um, they'll go after, you know, like we don't use equipment when we go in. What happened to that last guy who tried to film us? Like, we had a guy come in. He took off really, really fast because yeah. he got so freaked out. And it's yeah. so bad for the guy because didn't want him to be in that position. But right. it's just the way the, the spirit was and the aggression level, he took it as though it was a demon. In reality, it wasn't. Yeah. But he did. He got so spooked. He took off. Yeah, he, he, uh, like, he left his equipment and everything. And I was like, well, we have to get it back to him. Well, we'll have to come back to that later. <laughs> yeah, and then what we did, that way, you know, it wasn't yeah. just stuck there. Yeah, yeah. So what happened? Well, what happened to well, scare him off so bad? Yeah, well, we connect with the spirit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we trigger objects and, and get them to realize, yeah, I'm dead. Okay, now what do I do? And it's not like poltergeist, go to the light. I mean, it don't work like that, you know? Uh, it's more go to the shadow <laughs> because oh. light is bad, shadow is good for them because it's like a photo negative. That's the world yeah, they So, you know, in, in that photo negative, the lights are actually dark. You know what I mean? So you got these guys that got these bright flash lights on. That light suddenly becomes the emphasis of darkness for them, and it's good for us, the parents, well, because they think the harbinger's coming for them or Something's trying to get me. And harbingers are not good. Not so those are, those are some of the fun plays that we've run into. I think we've had, we go case by case. Like the Catholic Church will send us something and say, hey, what do you guys think of this? And they'll, they'll send us a report and then ask us, you know, what you want to you wanna participate in the exercise. Other times we get cases where they thought it was a demon. We go to the house and it's not a demon. Like it ends up being just a really strong home. Yeah, Stanley. Uh, you guys probably heard about the Stanley Virginia issue. Woman bought an old farm and it was spooked, really, really haunted. And she kept seeing this woman of like a hundred years ago, and she would just appear in the doorway, the bong, you know, the blink. No. She would pace too back and forth from the hallway to the kitchen, and then back to the hallway again and upstairs to the woman's room. But that was apparently the lady's room who who had died there. Mm-hmm. The farmhouse was like a three-story, you know how the old old farmhouse. Yeah. Some kind of a mega storm it took place, and it spawned up a bunch of tornadoes in the house back there. He got trapped, got killed, and got taken down into the basement area and the house collapsed on. Well, her son ended up running out in the storm to go and lock the chicken coop, make okay. sure that the chickens were okay. He goes running out there. He gets stuck, and he gets killed. So this family reached out to us. Um, oh, no, the Black Raven, Black Raven Paranormal. They were the ones. Hey, what do you what do you guys think of this case? And we said, all right, well we'll go out. So we got there, and I mean, God, as soon as we got there, this crazy storm came out of nowhere. 
We are so disappointed. I was like, well, wow. And that's for damn sure. And then I was like, uh, was it a singing or didn't like the song? Yeah. It's it hit, it left though, but you go downstairs and then there's this big cage and there is this like mannequin of a chicken in it. And that was kind of, at first it didn't register, but then as we're walking around and then we went out to chicken coop, we're like, wait a minute. Oh my God. And then we can release it. 
or that way it keeps them safe from the entities that would like to feed right. upon them and permanently erase them from this world. Yeah. They are out there and it, it does happen all the time. Well, you know, the there's entities that are interdimensional. That you have to you have to remember the earth is in motion. We're going through space that the earth has never been in before. So there's beings out there that collide with the earth, these interdimensional creatures. And they need energy too. And they feed on lost souls. And when they find them, they'll grab them, suck that energy up, and then that soul, that divine soul, is gone forever. So we try to protect them just as much as anything else. We had one trying to hunt at Waverly Hill a couple years ago. It was trying to this thing was feeding on the kids and feeding on souls at Waverly Hills. And when I got called about it, I said, well, let me go find out what this thing is. So I went there. I came. saw. I kicked its ass. And, you know, because, like, what we can do mm-hmm. is I could get a hold of that thing and feed on it and train it to where it is no longer left on this planet. I've absorbed it like a vacuum. So, so when you when you go over there and you you um, kick its ass and took its name, uh, yeah. Is it, does it take you a while to recover from that? Is it draining? I mean, what, what what's the process? Oh, hey, it's, it's like cocaine, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, it it takes me about four or five days to finally get that buzz kill gone. You know, and then. You know, you just got like, oh, no, I need a little pick-me-up. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, but no, the, the energy is just incredibly intense. Like, I'm awake for like 72 hours. I'm like, woo, <laughs> Rick Flair, baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's understandable because it's spiritual warfare. Right. So under those terms, uh, that, that's pretty much what we've been doing. We go case to case. We don't investigate things. We don't, unless there's something really crazy happening. Like Bobby Mackey. Um, so Bobby Mackey, they had the portal to hell. Well, we went there and was like, uh, no, it's not really the portal to hell, but uh, hey, we could take care of this for you. And they went, no, 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 no. Don't get rid of it. We need that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, so you're like you're like the paranormal Disney now. Okay, have a nice life. Off we left. Yeah, they didn't want to take their spirits away. You know? Well, I mean, that's where they get their money from. Mostly, it's people uh-huh. coming in yeah. to investigate. So I would, yeah, I don't kind of, I don't really blame them for want, not wanting to to get rid of the uh, the spirits. More of just like to let them know what what's down there. Right. You know? I've heard that Bobby Mackey's is, you know, I, I've heard both both sides of the coin on that. I've heard that it's it's a very active place and it's dark. And then I've also heard that it's just majority of it's drummed up. Um, yeah. And you know, from, yeah. from what I've seen, and you're going to get that from place to place. You know, it's like when these places exchange hands, it's like playing a game of telephone. Right. Right. I have a question. And I'm, if you're on Facebook, I want to send you a picture of something. 
real quick. I want to get your opinion on what on what it is, if you don't mind. Okay. You going to throw it on Facebook right now? Yeah, I'm saying I'm sending it to you right now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We have a simple device. Yeah, you know, I use my phone for investigate, so I, right. I have a. So you have your clear, and you have what I call a vortex. Look mm-hmm. at that. Oh. Now that, that is a nice little portal. So you have a vortex portal going on right here. Yeah. Well, that, that orange—that's actually an investigator. That was that because you can see the 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 equipment coming up. That that yeah. she's holding out. She's holding up like a recorder or something. So the the actual orange—that's an investigator. I'm talking about the little creature-looking thing at the bottom. That that circle. Yep, we're seeing it. You you've got a really That's a creature that just came out of it. Yep. And yeah. that is a vortex. We've seen a few of those. Normally we only see those like just natural occurring. Mm-hmm. You have to have a some uh, energy, right? And water is a great conduit. So as long as water is moving, it creates a harmonic frequency. That's why you find the most in your forest. Yeah. Forested area. So as long as water's moving across the walk, rocks, there's this harmonic, you know, it's a frequency. It generates what we call these portals, right, vortex, energy. All right, so you're looking at a column of energy, and then at the top you've got all this, you've got what we call the hot spot. That energy's flooding up, and it's washing over. It looks like a, I don't know, a ceiling? Well, it was taken in a, in a basement. My family owns a property in Virginia, and uh, the picture was taken in the basement of a brick rancher um, where a murder took place. Well, you have a picture of it. Yeah, and I mean, I, and granted, you know, you're looking at a 59.1 degree cold spot. That's definitely a portal right there. Normally, those portals are like anywhere from 45 to 50 degrees when they're really active. This one, but that's an actual Yeah, and, you know, I can tell you, though, if this is a basement, that grounding effect we were just talking about, mm-hmm. that thing has punched a hole through the grounding. Yeah. So now what you're seeing is that ethereal energy shooting up. Anything can come through that. We could talk demons. We could talk interdimensional. But whatever comes through there is going to be very dangerous. So I have a question uh, regarding that. Um, is it possible that something could come through that portal and take somebody over and cause them to commit a murder? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It, and again, it depends on if, the, if you are going to talk about some paranormal entity who's emotively angry anyway supercharged in this portal, they're going to get a hold of you, and they're going to take over your emotions. You're going to become angry, fun, dangerous, and you'll have no control over it. So this thing is basically getting high off of you. And then you're going to act out whatever level that energy is in that thing emotively. You're going to take on its emotional content. If it's a murderer, and it's going to be like, I want to kill again. I'm out for blood and revenge. 
satisfy those emotions, right. then you're not going to be able to resist that urge. So, it's just going to take you and possess you. We have the. So there was there was a there was a family that lived there um, in the late seventies. The brother shot and killed his sister. But I talked to one of her one of her friends, and she said that Amityville, like like this is like the retake of Amityville. But it's, I mean, I I don't know. I mean, there's a, there's a civil war battle that took place on the land. Um, but when we go, when we do have, we have investigations out there, there are some people who, um, they get affected. They, they get angry for no reason. They, they get violent or they not actually get, well, they have violent thoughts. There's nothing violent. Well, my friend Dennis and I run the cabin on 360. That's the name of the property. And, uh, we had a, a New Year's Eve party. And we had gone down to the basement. We were investigating. Not, you know, nothing really serious. Just kind of asking questions and stuff. And we get back to the, to the house, to the cabin next door. And we, you know, I had my computer set up. We're listening to music. We're, we're dancing and stuff, having a good time. And Dennis, who's carrying at the time, he, uh, he was leaning against the, the, the wall. And he just said he had this, this thought pop in, a, in his head of taking his gun out and shooting us, shooting us each in the head. Wow. We said when he had that thought, he went next door, walked inside, went downstairs in the basement, and basically told whatever was downstairs, don't fuck with him. He, he cannot mess with me like that. I follow him over there. I get the tail end of his rant, and uh, the house growls at him. And I'm like, so are you okay, man? He's like, yep, I'm good. So I left. I'm like, all right, went back to the party. But there is some some stuff that people uh, who are into the paranormal, they prepare for a lot of things, but they don't prepare for everything, you know? And it's hard because it's it's something you just need to, you know, it's not something that happens all to every person who comes to the cabin. There's not something where if you go there, you're going to get possessed or you're going to have that feeling. But it does happen. It does happen to people. So that's why I tell people when they come out here to just be prepared for that. You know, if you start feeling, you know, a certain way, anger for no reason, get out and then ground yourself. Um, and I'm wondering if, like, maybe, and I'm not using it using it as an excuse for what he did, because you still you still have to pull the trigger. You still have to make the decision. But is it? If you spend so much time in a place like that and it's constant, if it's one of those things where you just give in to a, to a, a desire where you maybe you wouldn't have if it wasn't under different circumstances. Well, I'll give you I'll give you a really clean, fast example of how to keep yourself from getting overwhelmed from an emotive spirit. If you notice. Back in the 50s and 60s, everybody had copper coin in there, and it was real copper. Like, it was it was copper. Yeah. And everyone had coin. Now look at us today. I don't I don't like to have changed my pocket. I, I got I got a plastic credit card. I don't have copper on me. So I am now able to take on 
prevent those negative emotions impacting right? And But a lot of people don't carry pennies in their pockets. I mean, they get your hands funny, you know. <laughs> but they have their lucky penny. But, you know, that's, that's they, it's yeah. like a totem. Uh, and again, you know, the law of attraction, right? The, the things that you put out, your energy, your positive feeling, you put that out, it's going to come back to you. Well, all it takes is one spirit to hit you with some negativity. And you're going to build on that negativity. It's going to take you over. You become its instrument of destruction. Make sense? Yeah. So in your pocket or even on your body at that point helps keep you shielded. Make sense? Yeah. So after after seeing what he sent you, that whatever that is in the basement, I you know, I've seen, I've seen drawings of it. Um, that gets the hackle up on my neck. But do you think that that, uh, when it acts on people, does it um, does it take people over, or is it more of an oppressive uh, being? Yeah, it definitely takes people over. The longer you're around that portal, the stronger it gets, because you're giving it the connectivity of positive and negative. So now you're giving it a vessel to act upon whatever it's feeling. So the first thing is you need to shut that portal down. That's that's the first thing you gotta do. That's what's what kill it. You throw a bunch of copper in, in the form of a big X right there where that spot is, and that copper will just shut it down. Don't move it. Like, hey, it's gone, yay, okay, let's Pick up the penny. Oh, shit, it's back. Oh, man, what up? No. Right. So it is a conduit between some other realm. That's where it comes through. Because remember, what's up is down when it comes to the... The The passive Yeah. Yeah. So that portal being open, whatever's coming through there is not of this world. So it is angry. It's vengeful. Now it's got a human house you can attach to. So that's that's the dangers of portals like that. <laughs> Look at my green frame. Oh my god. <laughs> do you think that that um, how do you think that came to be? Do you think it, it, it was due to the attrition on that land from the history or do you think um, at some point in time there was some type of like ritual, whether it be hoodoo or voodoo or whatever? Yeah, I, I can see a ritual opening that portal because it's a perfect circle. I mean, you know, I, I, you can see it on the floor and it's the column going straight up and look at that energy just spilling out. Like, so that energy is pumping through there. If you get around it, whatever whatever is in there, it's going to be like, yank. It's going to get a hold of you. And you're going to have no... You can have all the faith you want. You can believe in every possible Judeo-Christian whatever. It will not save you if that thing gets a hold of you. So, you know, having copper is your best weapon for life. Mm-hmm. Faith, and you got to have faith in it. you got to identify, hey, I mean, I got this, I got this crazy ugly-ass thought in my head, man. I just thought about killing y'all. Yeah. Uh, you should probably go... <laughs> you know. Right. So 
soon as you just back out. Yeah, yeah. When we when we start feeling a certain way, like I said earlier, I tell people when we come when they go on investigations, if you start feeling a certain way, start feeling angry, or if you're with someone they, the way they normally do, then you leave the house. And most of the time, they feel better as soon as they get out get out of the house. The two, like both houses, like the cabin next door is completely different than the than the brick rancher. Since people enter the, the brick rancher, it is just you know people they feel weird. They have this like they feel uh, it's different. Not angry all the time. It's not like it, but they feel. I uh, we had a uh, we had Sean Austin come out uh, a few years ago to investigate, and he saw a giant wolf spider. On the one of the outlets, and uh, it was about as big as the outlet. It was huge, and uh, he was like, "Dude, I don't fuck with demons. No, I don't fuck with spiders. I'd rather fuck with demons. I don't want. I don't fuck with spiders." So he, uh, the next that night, he came went downstairs and he did an SLS SLS session, and um, he saw a six figure on the SLS camera, right? Well, the, the, the figure sprouted eight legs and turned into a spider on the SLS camera. So, it's like ghost experience, you know? It's like, yeah. hey, whatever you think it's a big. Whatever you, yeah, whatever you're scared of, it'll it'll feed off of that. So, I mean. <laughs> Ryan, you and I talked about this last, on, on Sunday on yeah. our show. And I was talking about the fact is that that is um, making making your fear audible to whatever's listening, and then they're feeding off of that. And that which is yeah. funny because usually yeah. if I'm in a situation where the hackles come on the back of my neck, and I'm yeah, like, yeah. Yeah, in my head, I'm like, okay, if I see it, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, these images in our head that suddenly come in there. I don't think like that. But suddenly, hey, I got this visual 